0: Hebrews chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 4. Today we are going to look at this third temptation um, of Jesus. And um, again, we've been in Hebrews for a while, um, and we have looked at all kinds of different ways um, in Hebrews where we enter into this place of rest. we have a warning in Hebrews that says, do not be like them, right, who did not get to enter in. And um, he'd been given um, this access to the mountain of Zion, like that's where we are now. Um, not in a far, far away place, not some sweet by and by one day, but he says that's you, your reality right now, right? Uh, but we know that we can choose to just psh, wander around this mountain. Um, And he's warning us, don't be like that, right? And so what we've been looking at these last uh, few weeks is just looking at the temptations, why Jesus went through these temptations, either the temptations most common to man. Um, And so just a reminder in Hebrews chapter 4, just to remind us, he's went through this for us for a reason so that we can be victorious through those areas, right? Not so that we can just say, well, that was Jesus, (laughs) right? Right? We are never to walk, that, that Brent was talking about earlier, like that is never meant for you to walk around in this, in this earth and say, well, that was Jesus. Jesus is in you, so therefore it should be coming out of you, this kingdom that is within, right? Um, and so we want to look at and make sure that we are not following in that same trap And so in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes, I love that part, love that phrase, with us. In other words, you are not... Down here and He up here. But your heavenly reality, your reality right now is that you are established with Him in heavenly places. That's your reality, right? Um, What we just sang about when he said, what a beautiful name there is. There is no rival. There is nothing to come against him. Um, Death could not hold him down, right? And he is seated at the right hand, but it's not just that he's seated there and you're way down here in this low place. He has seated you with him in heavenly places, right? And so he is saying here, he understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in how many ways? We say it every week every way just as we are and conquered sin so now not in the sweet by and by right now we draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned and what does grace do it enables it doesn't just excuse it enables you to do what you called to do. So therefore, what I said earlier, you can't just see and say, well, that was Jesus. No, he's given you grace upon grace that enables you to go beyond what even the law required, right? Like, he gives it out there. These signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and see them recover, right? He lays out all these signs, and we say, well, that was Jesus. No, He is in you, and He's given you grace that has enabled you to do what you've been called to do. So we are without excuse. To receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace. Why do we need this grace? It enables. We urgently need, how does it enable you? To strengthen us in our time of weakness, right? Right? The hope of glory that Brent just talked about. Where is it at? In you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So we want to look at these these things one more time. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. The three temptations that we've looked at. We've looked at two so far. We're going to look at the third one today. Afterward, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to experience the ordeal of testing by the accuser. And after fasting for 40 days, Jesus was extremely hungry. And then the tempter came to him and said, How can you possibly be the Son of God and go hungry? Just command these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. He answered, The scriptures say, Bread alone will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word that constantly goes forth from God's mouth. Then the accuser transported Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem, perched him at the highest point of the temple, and said to him, If you're really God's son, jump, and the angels will catch you. For it is written in the Scriptures, he will command his angels to protect you. They will lift you up, so that you won't even bruise your foot on a rock. Once again, Jesus said to him, The Scriptures say, You must never put the Lord your God to a test. And the third time, the accuser lifted Jesus up onto a very high mountain range and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor that goes with it. All of these kingdoms I will give to you, the accuser said, if only you will kneel down before me and worship me. But Jesus said, Go away, Satan, for the Scripture's say, kneel before the Lord your God... And worship him only. At once the accuser left him, and angels suddenly gathered around Jesus to minister to his needs. I'd like to suggest to you today that these three temptations, what we looked at in Hebrews when it says, and he was tempted in all points just as we are, these three temptations are the ones that are common to man we can leave just about everything that you can say that is wrong with this world can go back to these three things. The first one was the lust of the flesh. Last week we looked at pride of life. And this week is the lust of the eyes. Remember in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, and I have it up here in the New King James Version, I think it is. But in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, got that one? Genesis 3 verse 6. All right. So when the woman saw <laughs> that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. That it was what? Pleasant to what? Eyes. Or what? Anybody besides Brent see it? Eyes. eyes. <laughs> pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. When she saw that it was pleasing to the What? looks good to the eye you ever heard that phrase feast your eyes on this you ever heard that or you think that comes from it is the lust of the eyes feasting our eyes absorbing wanting that which what we see and it becomes desirable look at Psalm chapter 2 verse 6 Psalm chapter 2 look at why this is very tempting this is a promise through Jesus, the Messiah. Does Jesus know the scriptures? Yeah, he was teaching them when he was 12 years old, right? And they were looking at him when he was 12, and they were like, how does this guy, little boy, have so much authority and Revelation? Look at Psalms 2, verse 6. I myself have poured out my king on Zion, my holy mountain. This is God talking about Jesus. I will reveal the eternal purpose of God. For he has decreed over me. This is Jesus talking now. You are my favored son. And as your father, I have crowned you as my king eternal. Today I became your father. Did we see that right before he was led into the wilderness? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Remember, at the baptism, and then he came up out of the water, and the heavens did what? They split wide open. Jesus says, this is my favorite son, my beloved son, and who I'm well pleased, right? I have crowned you king eternal. Today I'm your father, right? Then verse 8, ask me to give you the nations. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I'll do it. They shall become your Legacy, Your domain will stretch to the ends of the earth. And what is Satan wanting to do? He's giving him what, he's, what he says he is, right? He's like, I know that's what you came for. So just look, you just bow down and we'll just, get this, we'll just get this thing over with. I know that's what you're here for. What is this about? This is about taking the quick route, not listening to Papa, right? Life is in Papa. You understand that? When I say papa, I'm not talking about some old man. I'm not talking about grandpa. I'm not talking about what their kids call Brent. <laughs> or my kids call my pa-in-law. When I'm talking about papa, I'm talking about father. All good and perfect gifts come from the father of life. Right? And so Jesus knows and understands this is one of the things that he came to reestablish to come back and take what was originally ours that we gave back in the garden, what we just saw, Genesis chapter 3. Look good to the eye, feast your eyes on this. And so, what did they do? They turned it back over and they said, Here, Satan, it's all yours because now, because of the lust of the eyes, we have given into this desire that says we'll go this other route. It was all theirs. The garden was theirs. Life was theirs. Relationship with the Father. Intimacy. It was all theirs. Let's go another route, right? Me and Brent was talking about that one day this week, talking about whenever you you think about Jesus is the gate, and anybody who tries to come around, right? We all try to come these different ways. Wanting to come into the kingdom this way. Um, Religion wants you to come into religion by how? Works. Like, you got to prove yourself. Get in this gate this way. And it's like, no, the gate is wide open. Jesus is the gate. And he says, anybody who comes to me, right, they're going to have life. Have it to the full. Have it overflowing. And Jesus is looking at this situation. And it's a temptation to say, yeah, I'll go ahead and take what's mine. But it's the quick route. It's not the route that God's asking for, right? What happened to the Israelite people? Again, All these temptations we see over and over and over. They were taking out the long route. Why? To test what was in their heart. It could have been an 11-day journey to see what was in their heart. Yet, what did they do? They had no faith in the Father. So what is Jesus doing? He's doing what Israel should have done from the very beginning. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And in Exodus 14, we see Israel, they tested the Father instead of having faith in the Father. So what is he doing? He's taking it back for us. He's being tempted in all points, as all humanity always has been. Why? To take it back. Then he takes it back and reestablishes it, and gives us back the authority. And he doesn't just say, "Here's your authority; go off by yourself." What did he do? He placed his spirit in us, so that Christ in us is the hope of glory. The glory to be established As Brent just talked about earlier. As we established this thing this morning, when we started off this morning, that glory is to be as the waters cover the sea. And as Brent reminded us this morning, how do you separate the waters from the sea? You can't. They are one in. The the same it's a beautiful thing of what jesus has done for us to understand that now go back to a previous passage we used last week just to remind us first john chapter 2 first john chapter 2 verse 16 and i'm going to read this one out of the king james just so you see the wording here For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, we talked about. The lust of the, what are we talking about today? The what? Eyes. And the pride of life we talked about last week is not of the Father, but is of the, what? World. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Again, he points to the same three temptations. Does he not? And he's basically telling you all the things that are of Satan's kingdom wraps around those three things. But praise God. Isn't that like what Paul says? He's like, like the man I used to be before Christ, like it was a turmoil inside of me. The things I wanted to do, I didn't do. The things I didn't do, I wanted to do. Right? Just like a turmoil. But he says... But thanks be to God. What happened? Jesus is now in me. I don't have to be in this bondage anymore. Right? That's the beautiful thing about this. Like these are still the same temptations he's using today. The game hasn't changed for him. But the big game changer happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. Whenever he died for you, now place his spirit in you so that you can raise up just like him. You were buried, you were raised, and you were ascended into heaven with Christ in all three things. Why? So that you can reign victorious here on this earth. Not so in the sweet by and by. Right now. There's a reason you were alive. There's a purpose you were here. And it is time for us to wake up and start living it, right? So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. This is just two chapters after this temptation. Jesus begins what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He starts going through all these things. It's like, you know... All these great things that he starts talking about the kingdom, right? And getting them to rethink because he's like, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you it's really like this, right? And that's that great sermon on the mount. Matthew chapter 5 starts that. Matthew chapter 6, what does he say here? He just left this, remember, he just left the wilderness, and he starts this sermon. Now listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 22. He had been talking about money. But then he says this, this phrase here, the eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, what happens to the light? Floods in, right? But if you're like, I don't know if you drove last night after about 830, like you couldn't see anything, right? Like I'm driving like 19 miles an hour. For me, I'm usually driving 91 miles an hour, and it was very hard for me to go. I couldn't see anything. It was clouded. The light couldn't penetrate through it, right? It's just like clouded, right? So the light is going through it, but I couldn't see on the other side because of the cloud. The light cannot penetrate that darkness. It takes its place. How profound will be the darkness within you if the light of truth cannot enter? And he used it to what? The eyes. The eye, he says, is the gateway of the soul. That's your mind, your will, your emotions. Okay? What we begin to take in, what we begin to meditate on, what we begin to focus on becomes our reality. Because we become what we behold. Right? So in here, he says... There's this idiom, like, when I say idiom, if you look back, you want to understand what this means because it can be a little confusing if you just take this part out. But he's talking about money, and he's talking about you can't have both, right? You can't serve two masters. But in the middle of this, if you want to understand, you look at the whole thing, and you also can look at Jewish manuscripts in that day of what the talk and what the language would be, just like you have talking language today, right? There are certain things that if... My grandma was alive today, and she heard some of the slang today. She would be very confused because it means the opposite of what it did back in her day. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So we go back and try to figure out what does that mean in that time frame. And here, this part means it, is, it means the outlook. Talking about the eye is the gateway of the soul. It is the outlook and spiritual understanding. The Greek word here is haplus, which means one way, as opposed to double-minded. Where have we heard double-minded before? Anybody remember? James. James says, do not be double-minded. That person cannot expect to receive anything from God, right? So here he's saying this one way, this light is his light. And as we allow it to penetrate our soul, our soulish realm, where all our decisions are made, because that is our mind, our will, and our emotions, it is our spiritual understanding as opposed to being double minded. So you can't think one way and then think another way and expect to get anything because now your soul is being going back and forth. That's your soulish realm, right? The Aramaic word here, so we look at both Greek and the Aramaic. Aramaic word is derived here from the word Peshat, which means to be straight, simple, sincere, plain, and true. You know what they use that for? Remember, Jesus says, You cannot enter the kingdom unless you come as a little child. That's what he's talking about here, as in to be straight, simple, sincere, plain, true, innocence. You know what happens with children up to a certain age they don 't care what the hair looks like, right? had a little girl get out of uh, out of the car this week and uh, she 's in pre k and she had her hair cut and she said, everybody going to think my hair looks stupid I won't go in I'm like oh, you shouldn't be thinking about that so there's an age all of a sudden when we become Conscious, self-aware that really releases now we don't have that innocence anymore. You see the innocence of little children, right? See Lila come up there and sing that song this morning? What happened within two seconds? Baby sister said, I'm up here too. Right? Ah, right? She didn't care if y'all thought she wasn't supposed to be of it. There's an innocence there, right? And it was beautiful, right? It's a beautiful innocence. That's what he's talking about here, this beautiful innocence, this child innocence. It's plain. It's true. I'm not trying to overanalyze it, right? Remember what uh, Dan Muller says, analytical thinking is not a fruit of the Spirit. So I'm not trying to overanalyze what the Word of God is saying. I just receive it as simple and true. Man, it's just a beautiful thing that Brent went through that Word this morning, right? It's just simple and true. He went from Genesis basically the revelation within about five minutes and it was that common thread that started at the beginning and we know how it's going to end all right we know what's it's bringing it's the beautiful innocence of what that is if we could just me and him had that talk this week that if we could just get back to that simple thing of the law and the prophets are hung up on that one thing love god love people right it's so beautiful so simplistic And that's what he's saying. Let that be your eye. Let that be the gateway to your soul. Because in doing that, now I'm not double-minded, trying to figure everything else out. It's just simple. I'm loving Papa, and I'm showing the love to people. (laughs) It's so good. It's so easy, but we yet complicate things so often. And Mark in, in Matthew, don't have to go there just gonna give you these references for time's sake, but Matthew 16, verse 26, Mark 836, remember that's where it says, what would it be for a man to forfeit his soul, right? What would it be if he gained the whole world but forfeit his soul? That's what he's talking about in lust of the eyes. And this in this part what he's saying, what is it for? Like, why would you want to gain all that what is he trying to get him to gain here in this situation? The whole world, right? What would it be if he gained the whole world, but yet forfeit the soul, right? Where all decisions are really made is in the soulless realm, right? What would it be to gain all that, yet forfeit the soul? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says these things wage war against, guess what? The soul. Now, Again, I'm pointing out and helping you understand when I say soul, I'm talking about your mind, your will, your emotions. Why does it affect that? Why does it wage war against that? Because that is the realm you live from every day. Whether it's the baby decisions, the little decisions, like we're talking about on, on the surface decisions when you make, when you wake up. You're doing all those little things, your little routine that when you get up and you wake up in the morning, you're getting ready for work, and you're getting kids ready for work, I mean school. You're doing all these things. Those are your basic things. But then you've got major decisions. I've got decisions, long-term decisions I'm trying to make for my children. I've got long-term decisions I'm trying to make for the staff at my school. I've got long-term decisions, but then I've got big impactful decisions that when I make them today, it could impact somebody's life for the rest of their life. That's the soulless realm. All those things come from that. Whether they're that small or whether they're that big, it comes from that soulless realm. So if I'm double-minded in that, how's that going to affect it? I might be careless in just my routine stuff. I might let a careless word hurt somebody. Like, big time. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's big time things, there's little things. And so I have to get, understand the simplicity of, in the innocence of the childlike fate that gets me entered in, and that's the I, the single I. Remember, I was talking about single I a couple of years ago. I think we we're probably still at Brent's when we went through single I. Even Dez made me a cup said single I on it. Like we stayed on it for a little while. That single I approach, that I, not double-minded. That single I approach is just a simplistic approach. Remember Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus said, again, Sermon on the Mount. He goes straight from this lust of the eyes circumstance. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he tells them, but I, you've heard it said this, but I tell you if you look at a woman with lust, it is what? Adultery. Have like, you ever thought about that? Like, here's the law, right? And it brings death and its requirements are are like way up here, right? The requirements for the law are right here. You ever think about that? Like Jesus saying, this is what you've always heard. But then what does Jesus do? With grace. He raises it up. He doesn't take it even down. He raises it up. Why? Because He's showing you it's impossible to do on your own. What do you need? You need Him. You need grace that enables you to do what you've been called to do from the very beginning. Because it has nothing to do with your works. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has to do with the eyes of the understanding of the heart, Paul says. And here's where all those things take place, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, again, we're just mentioning these. I'm not going to go to them this morning, but just for time's sake. But 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, all things are permissible. All things. Like I could be looking at all these things and it's like, well, it don't hurt me. But he says, not all things are beneficial. So what do I do? I look at what is the fruit? What is the fruit coming out of this, right? If I say, well, I can look at that. Knowing you, I'm just going to address the men real quick. Knowing you have a situation, you know you're dealing with lust in your heart towards women. And you're watching movies that promote that or even not even movies. Maybe you're a story watcher. Maybe you like Young and the Restless. I don't know. (laughs) Would that be good if you're dealing with lust? Yes or no? What are you doing? You're entertaining that, right? You're entertaining. You're 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 taking it in, but then you're reliving it over and over. So it becomes your thought process becomes who you are. It is it is is it permissible to you. Don't you have grace for it? Don't you have mercy for it? You see what I'm saying? So I could say, "Well, I mean, it's good for me. I mean, it's not it's not, I mean it's not bad. It's permissible. I can do it." You can through grace, you can through mercy. But is it beneficial? What's the end product going to produce? That's just an easy example because we deal with that so much in the world right now. It's one of the highest ones even in ministry. That is the highest one they say that men in ministry are coming under attack with. Right? And that's just an easy one. We can go all the way down to anything in our life. What are we using? What are Look at those things and say, yeah, they're permissible, but is it beneficial? Is it growing me, and is it growing the people around me towards Christ? What's the fruit, right? James 1, 13 through 16, and we're going to look at this one. James 1, and I want you to see this one. I have to underline some stuff in this one. Remember, James don't cut us no slack in the very beginning. James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, When you are tempted, don't ever say, God is tempting me. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil and he is never the source of temptation. Instead, it is each person's own, listen to this, what? Desires and thoughts. (laughs) That's a big one. That drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. So, my friends, don't be fooled by your what? Own desires. You see, lust starts with desire. And it, it is coveted through our imagination. Through our, that's why we say we need to redeem our imagination. When we talk about imagination in that place... Because God can use your imagination, but Satan wants to tort it and use it for his good. So anything that we're talking about that the enemy, that we need to avoid the enemy, guess what? It was already established through God to be used for good. But the enemy loves to distort it and use it for his kingdom. How does he do it? Lust of the eyes is one of the things that we're talking about. So it starts with that desire, it's coveted through our imagination, and then it gives birth to what that thing is that we were beholding. So now, how do we overcome this? We overcome it just like Jesus did. What did he do? He was in Papa's presence, number one. Intimacy, right? Number two, what did he do with the Word? He knew it, right? Satan's using Scripture too, right? So he's got to be knowing the full Scripture. Okay? So let's go to Romans chapter 6. Look at what Paul says. So now let's begin this track of how we overcome. Romans 6, verse 12. Sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to to rule over your life, controlling how you live, compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So he says, it's dethroned. Why is it dethroned? What happened? What did, what, did, what did Jesus do? He's defeated it, right? He defeated this lust of the flesh. We saw He defeated it in the wilderness. Did He not? But then, not only did He defeat it, what did He do with the cross? He grabbed you along with Him, crucified your flesh with it, the sin nature and all sin of the world, sickness, all disease, all of it, nailed it to the cross, then it was buried then he raised victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Right? That's what Scripture say? You live compelling to obey his desires and cravings. We can't live under this because this is a dethroned monarch. So to do it is doing it by what? Choice. It's a choice. So then refuse, then, he says, to answer its call. You're going to have that call. The same temptation that's always been there, it's the same one that's going to down. So then refuse to answer its call to do what? Surrender your body. Why is that so important? Where have we heard surrender before? What are we supposed to do every day, guys? Die to ourselves. We're a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, acceptable to the Lord, right? How do you die to yourself? You surrender, right? One of the things I always say before I enter the school every day, because I never know what's going to happen, it's always crazy stuff, no matter what. It's just different crazy stuff every day. And so one of the things I say right before I walk in is I say, I consecrate myself to you, Jesus. I give you my mind. I give you my will, I give you my emotions, I give you my mouth, I give you my thought process, my hands, my feet, I give you my body, and I say let you be known in that place that when people see me, they only see you, that whenever I walk into the room, you walk into the room, that whenever a thought comes into the room, it needs to be elevated to your thought process in the room, right? I just go through all those things. What am I doing? I'm surrendering my personal thoughts and desires to do what? Line up with His. Right? So then refuse to answer the call to surrender the opposite direction. Right? Verse 13. Your body is a tool for weakness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep, listen to this, yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. How do you experience resurrection life? What did he just say? One simple word. Do what? Surrender. Surrender. Did he say fight for it? Did he say work for it? Did he say strive for it? You know, one of the prayers that God stopped me uh, here a while back, probably back whenever, um, we did a book study one time on um, Andrew Womack saying, you've already got it. And the picture of the book was a dog chasing its tail, right? Like we, all, we do that so often that we don't realize what we've already been given in Christ. And we're just sitting there chasing our tail when we already got it. Right? And so one of the things that I, I used to pray over my kids, I was, I was like, you know, help them strive to do what is right and not wrong. Guess what word he started changing in my prayer life? What word? Strive. Help my kids see that they already have you. Right? Help my kids to know who they really are in you. Help my kids to really know who you really are and who they really are. You see how a difference maker that is? (laughs) Because striving is not ever going to get us there. It's never going to get us there. Right? Let me just give you an example real quick. I didn't have this really planned, but I'll just give this to you. I saw this before. Here's a pen, right? This is the direction people in Christ, like you're in Christ. You know him. You have a relationship with him. And this is the direction he has for you to go, right? The things of this world begin to put pressure on us, correct? And they begin to put pressure and they put pressure and pressure and pressure. And guess what we try to do? We start trying to fight against it. Well, guess what happens? We're not going back in the direction we want to. We're putting more pressure. And it's bending back. What's happening to my left hand here in trying to hold this? Shaking. It's coming under pressure. It's all of a sudden like it's at a tipping point and it doesn't know which way to go. And I'm constantly in turmoil. Guess what happens when I let go and surrender? It's a very easy analogy, but it's so hard to live. Because our natural tendency is we want to strive, 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 prove, prove, prove ourselves. Just let go. And let Him carry you in the direction that you were supposed to go from the very beginning. So he says, do not let it reign over you. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. Past tense, by the way. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. Like, I'm not striving to do what's right. Now I'm just living in a relationship. Remember this, sin will not conquer you. Hmm. lots of times when we go to church what do we hear you can't overcome it you ain't perfect brother I don't know why you acting like that you're just an old poor pitiful sinner sin will not conquer you for God already has Whew. that's good you are not governed by law but by governed by the reign of the what of God And what does grace do? Enables Enables you to do the thing that you've been called to do that seems impossible to man. But with God, all things are possible. You've been given grace that sets you free to do what you've been called to do, right? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. Nor should we ever provoke the Lord as some of them did by putting him to outrageous tests. Again, talking about the Israelites. They resulted in their death from snake bites day after day. Verse 10, And we must not embrace their ways by complaining, grumbling with discontent, as many of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. All the tests. They endured on their way through the wilderness are a symbolic picture, an example that provides us with a warning so that we can learn through what they experience. For we live in a time when the purposes of all the ages past is now completing its goal where? Within us. So beware if you think it can never happen to you, lest your pride becomes your downfall. We looked at that one last week. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. Seems like, bro, sometimes it seems hard, right? Like it just seems like we're getting one test after another, one test after another, one test after another. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being, but God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, the nature, and the timing of every test or trial you face. Why? So that you can bear it. Remember, when we started looking at this, what did he want you to do? You go through it. He brought you to it to be a victor and not a victim. If you're in the middle of a test or you're in the middle of a turmoil, it is not to leave you there. The only purpose for you to even be there is so that you reign victorious. And you do not reign victorious By fighting our battles, Armani, with our head down, pushing with all our might, digging and digging and digging and pushing back, right? It is a place of surrender. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more for along with every trial, God has provided you a way of escape that will bring you out of it, out of it. Like on the other side, as what? Victorious. Victorious. For you are more, Paul says, than a conqueror. You're not just going to conquer it, you're going to take the spoils with you, and you're going to rule, and you are going to reign. Look at Psalm 119, verse 37. Psalm 119, verse 37. Help me turn my eyes away from, look at this word, the passion uses, illusions, so that I pursue only that which is true, drench my soul with life as I walk in your path. Again, let that light so shine, that light penetrate through the eye that illuminates your soul And let it be your guiding light. What is the truth? He is the truth. He is the light. He is the way. Right? And through His Word and through relationship with Him. As Brent talked about this morning. is that double-edged sword. It is that rhema. And it is that logos word that is penetrating into our uttermost parts of our heart. And it is the light that is penetrating out of us. And as it penetrates in us, guess what it's going to do? It ain't just going to stay there. It's coming out of you. So that everywhere you go, you... Say it with me. You. Now you change that to I. I am the light of the world. Well, that's blasphemous. I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Jesus does say he's the light of the world, but then he turns around and says what? You are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. So how can that be? He's in you. You're in him. There is no separation. You are enfolded, Paul says. Into him, into one being, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So how do we do this? Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Very familiar. We've used this before. But we need to probably be reminded of this passage most every day of our lives. Because we are bombarded with thoughts. We are bombarded with messages and words all throughout our day. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, he says, For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons. <coughs> Again, got to learn how to fight your battle. You're not doing it like the world does it. That makes sense to the world. None of this makes sense to the world. It's not even considered common sense, right? There's nothing common about God. He's God. And he's asking you to do it in his way, right? For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, what do we do? Our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power. These weapons of warfare have divine power. To effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish how many? What does it say? Every deceptive fantasy. Is that what Satan was trying to do right here? In the wilderness with Jesus. Gets him up there. Get this thought. You know this is what you're supposed to have been given. He's using scripture against him. Start asking using his mind, right? We can demolish those deceptive thoughts even if the word is being used against us because Satan uses the word against you. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance, listen to this, of the true knowledge of God. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did in this situation? Satan took Scripture said, this is what you're supposed to get. So I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you. But Jesus knew this was in direct defiance to His Father's will. Direct defiance to His Father's character and direct defiance to who His Father even was. Right? Even though it was Scripture, it was in direct defiance of who God is. That's why we always say Jesus is the perfect theology. Right? Because people will use things. And so here he's reminding us we can demolish every set of fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance with the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war. How many thoughts? Every thought. Every thought. Guys, I have all kinds of things that I write down throughout the week when I hear from God. In fact, I probably got enough notes right now that I think is going to carry us all the way to February. But you know what I do, even though I got that many notes? Each week I say, Take it to God. This is what you want to say. This is what we want to do. Am I hearing you right on this? (coughs) Right? So even though I got that, I still have to take those thoughts captive. And do what? Bring it under the knowledge and character of who God really is. We capture like prisoners every end of war, every thought, and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose. Complete what? Yeah, surrender obedience. It's a it's an attitude of saying here I am like it's not mine what I'm trying to do it's all you just wanting to be just like my dad just want to be just like him right and who is he he's love First Corinthians I mean First Timothy one five our goal is to become what love right so let's finish up Hebrews chapter twelve let's go back to our Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter twelve. Verse 1, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. He's pointing back to what we was talking about in chapter 11. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us. Got to let go. That's part of surrender, guys. That's why whenever a lot of times when I'm taking you into ascension, what do we start out with? I let go of all these things. I'm just breathing it out. I'm letting go of everything that's bothering me in my life. Let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to. Notice that then is tied to an if. You've got to let go. Surrender. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out Before us. We look away from the natural realm. And we focus our attention and expectation where? On to Jesus. Who birthed faith where? Right here. Within us. And who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that would you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls. Why? So that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. Isn't that what we want to do? Give up. The situation is never going to turn around. Is that surrender? That sounds more like frustration. That sounds more like that pen I was showing you. There's tension there. Right? So what does he say to do? After all, you have not reached the point of sweating blood in your opposition to sin. Who did though? Hmm? Who did? Jesus did. So he's saying, you don't have to shed blood. You don't have to come to the point where you're sweating blood. Why? He's saying all you have to do is surrender. Isn't that good? You don't have to do this, he says. I've already done it. I've already sweated the blood for you. That crown of thorns I took on on me, remember, in the garden? And you'll get by with the thorns, right? The thorns and the thistles as you're working the land. Well, guess what? That mentality, he put it on his mind and crowned it here. And that thorn and thistle mentality... He carried it so that you don't have to anymore. You just surrender to the mind of Christ. It's so beautiful. It's just like Brent said earlier, like it's so good. Like the more you get into His Word, the more beautiful it is, right? And it just overwhelms you. And all of a sudden you have a life flow coming up out of you that you never had before, right? Romans 1. Almost done. Romans 1. Verse 16. Paul says, I refuse to be ashamed of the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us. How? Through Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved. The Jew first and then people where? Everywhere. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's what? That revelation of righteousness should never stop. Right? Like you just get more and more in that. Like that's the foundation. And then it continues to take it. Continue revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we what? Believe. And it moves us from receiving life so you receive it, that place of surrender, as we just said, through faith to the power of living by faith. So I've received it by believing it. And when I received it because I believed it through faith, guess what happens? Now I'm living from that place. And when I start living from that place, it just begins to build and 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 build. and build. And build right? I gave this example Wednesday night. Like, I have this, this chart that I use when I'm annotating and looking at teachers when I'm doing observations. And there's this, like, from a scale to one to five, I want a teacher to be on a five. And that's whenever they're really getting kids to use that critical thinking piece in the classroom all throughout the class time, right? And so if i got a teacher over here on one every time I'm going to him, I'm going to help him get established to a two. Because if I start telling that person or that teacher, this is where I need you to be on five, and this is what I need you to do every time I walk in the room, but they've never established the habits of one, two, three, and four, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be overwhelmed, and they're going to shut down. And now I'm not doing them any good, or the kids in the class any good. Right? And so what happens with us as believers Paul says we should be moving on to these greater things. He says, I keep trying to, but I have to keep coming back to this because we keep forgetting the basics. This basics of righteousness, right? It all comes back to knowing who you are, guys. When we start getting way over here, we forget who we are. Got to remember who you are. Right? And Satan is constantly, all day, every day, trying to tell you who you're not. <laughs> how you don't measure up, never be good enough, situation's never going to turn around. Those things are not of God, right? Like, when when I lead you through ascension, sometimes people ask me later, well, how do you know that's the voice of God that you're hearing when you're doing that? You want to know one thing? When I, Whenever I first started doing this and started learning his voice during ascension because remember I would already told you how I started learning to hear his voice but through ascension and things like that you know what I'm not in the um, habit of doing telling myself I love myself and you know who else is not going to tell you I love you in ascension Satan one of the first things that I began to start hearing whenever I would go into ascension was just simple those things I'm proud of you son that sounded foreign. <laughs> like I wanted to always prove myself and have men's approval. And I thought the more approval by man I had, then I probably was pleasing God finally. I didn't know, but I was hoping. And so I'd get in that place and I'd hear, I love you, son. God, is that really you? What what are you saying? That's what I'm saying, I love you, son. Yeah, but what about I love you son But I had to get to a place where I just had to let go I'm not coming into that place of trying to fix everything I'm not coming in that place as that pen I just showed you I'm not coming in there with all I gotta let go just be still know that I'm God just be still um. begins to speak to your heart and the light begins to flood in and as the light begins to flood in (laughs) guess what happens to the darkness (laughs) it just disappears and now all of a sudden my eye has become single not trying to come from this way and that way not trying to get over the gate this way and this way an easy walk into the gate with Jesus <laughs> my father's house are many mansions if it not so I would have told you I go there to prepare a place for you that where you where I am there you may also be many dimensions to a person many rooms to a person and he's ready he's ready to go into all those rooms with you some people compare it to a garden. It's a beautiful thing on the movie The Shack or the book The Shack, whichever one you want to watch or read. His Holy Spirit is with him in the garden. And they're just pulling out the things together that don't belong. It looks like an overgrown jungle. Whenever they finish, it's such a beautiful garden. It's a place of surrender. So, what Paul's saying here, he said, I'm not ashamed to say because of Christ, I've been made righteous. He said, I didn't even do anything except believe. I didn't do anything to be made right except believe, he said. It's a place of surrender. Because you know what? Our default position does not want to believe that. Just like that pen. But when you start stop arguing about who you think you are. <laughs> and surrender and agree with him, we're back going right grace. I hmm. just want to close with this passage such a beautiful thing here that matches up with this story to me in Acts chapter 3 verse 19 and now you must repent what does repent mean? get all slobbery <laughs> what well, we think when we hear that word because religion taught us now you must repent it means to get the thought process that God has get his same thoughts okay now you must repent and turn back to god why so that your sins will be removed and so times of refreshing will stream from the lord's presence get new thoughts line up with who he really is and what he really says about you And times of refreshing are going to stream to you. What happened at the end of this passage in Matthew chapter 4? After that third temptation. And it says, And Satan immediately left. And the angels of the Father came and gave him spiritual food and nourishment. Nourishment and food from his Papa. Times of refreshing came. He endured, and as he endured and he reigned victorious, times of refreshing came. What did he say in Psalms? And he set before me, before the table, before the presence of my enemies, I set a table before you. Isn't that beautiful that in the presence of of our enemies in the presence of our struggles in the presence of the things that we are going through that we call hard he says I would set a table before you in the midst of all that that all I'm asking you to do in the midst of the struggle in the midst of the pain all I'm asking you to do is sit down my son and receive from me (laughs) and in that place my boy Times of refreshing. So just go with me there for a minute. Again, take a deep breath and all that you brought in here with you today, release. Just say this simple prayer. God, I give you everything. God, I give you every one God, I give you everyone and everything to you. God, I give everything and everyone to you. Do it as many times as it takes until you feel the release in the spiritual realm. When I say everything, I mean every situation, I mean every worry, every doubt, every fear. And when I say everyone, I even mean my family, any person. You know how many thoughts we think a day about people in our lives or situations in our life? When we're coming into this place to be still and to know that He is God, we're releasing all that. And God, I give you everything. I give you everyone. When you feel that release, just begin to take a deep breath and breathe Him in because He is life. The Spirit of life. Just breathe Him in and thank Him for life and life to the full. Thanking that there was nothing that you had to do to get here. Thanking Him that He has already accomplished all these things for you. Thank Him that on the other side of the struggle is victory. Trust. Surrender. Surrender. And again, we're not taking anything else there. We're not asking questions right now about life there's one question that we want to know right now and that's it Papa what you saying Papa what are you saying to me and for some of you that's what you might hear I love you and if that's all you hear just thinking for and just set in that love some of you might say I'm proud of you and that you kind of want to shy away from it because you don't know what you did to deserve to say why he's proud of you. Like, what did I do? If that's what you're feeling at that moment, again, say, Father, I give you everything and everyone to you. Because I want to receive the word you have for me. I'm proud of you, daughter. I'm so proud of you. You so bring so much joy to me. Just need clarity, Papa. Is that really what you said about me? Like, I didn't know that's what you really thought about me. Just let him continue. To. There's tears all over this room. You don't want to know why? I'm, because you're in the presence. He's here. He's with you. He's in you. He's wanting to take you to all those places on the inside of you. Places that maybe we haven't even let go yet and given to him. Oh, but he's ready to explore all those areas with you. And he'll take you there in time. Just today, right now. I just want to enjoy his presence. Because in that place, Is a dethroned monarch, and it has no control over you any longer. But you live resurrected life. (laughs) Guess what? You don't have to come to church to do this. You can do this as many times today. have a Mecca we have to go to. Oh, but He's in you. And every time you feel that place where that pen is beginning to strive, just go back into that place. He's inviting you. Just let those things start to bring you back to a place where you say, that's a reminder, this tension is a reminder get to go back into that place just take it simple just like this I'm not asking you to do anything but keep it simple that childlike faith and in that place in that place you're going to be renewed and do it as many times a day as you need to We thank you for your word to us today. And we thank you, God, that it is by you, for you, through you, that all things live, breathe, and have their be. And we surrender ourselves to you, to be loved by you, to know you, to know who you really are, to know who we really are, and to understand that to its fullest and become that to its fullest, to become just like you, to become love to be word become flesh and live among our communities, among our families. Draw us each day closer to you and closer to one another that the world may see the unity that we have for one another and the love that we have for one another and that they will look and they will say, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. We love you. And thank you for your love. Jesus. Amen. Make good week. Love you guys.